0: Thank you for listening to Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. Lord Jesus, I need wisdom as I preach this passage, and I want to be as faithful as I can to this text. Uh, we came to this morning to hear not from me, or we, we came to hear from you, and we want to hear your word, we want to be changed by it, we want to think rightly about it, and so help me as I preach to just be faithful to what you have to say. And so I sit under the very authority of the word that I'm about to preach, and change me as I'm preaching. Help us to understand, help us to see what's there, and be changed by it. Jesus, we want to we honor you through this passage, and trust that you're going to give us the power to do it. Holy Spirit, lead us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 7, verse 7 through 12. We are marching right along through the book of Romans. And if you'll turn your eyes to verse 7, we'll read these five verses. What shall we then say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known what, what sin is. For I would not have known what sin is, what it is to covet, if the law had not said, You shall not covet. Good. Is God's law good or bad? Last week we got into Romans chapter 7 and we started talking about what it looks like in sanctification when we pursue sanctification through the law. And all of chapter 7 on the tail end of talking about justification and union with Christ and now into sanctification is showing the contrast. How, how do you grow? How does a Christian grow? To, more, to being more and more like Christ. And is it through the law of God or is it through the grace of God? How do those things work itself out? And today, the question comes up in light of last week and the passage leading up to these verses when Paul says that the law held us captive. And the question that kind of bubbles up when we think about the law holding us in captivity is the question, well, is the law bad if the law holds me in captivity, that simply, it just sounds bad. If I'm a captive to something, it seems like then that that thing that's holding me captive is bad. So is the law a sin? And then we have questions and knots to untie because, and I think the law in a lot of ways have, has gotten a bad rap because we love the grace of God, do we not? We love God's grace and we talk about God's grace and we sing about God's grace and we revel in God's grace. And the law is, in contrast, appears to be in the law gospel thing, it seems to be in opposition. And so is it bad or is it good? And I think we just simply misunderstand God's law if we see it as something that's bad or only in contrast to the grace of God. I think there's layers that we need to understand and knots that we need to untie. And we tried to do that a little bit last week. We're going to do it this week. And I think, based on God's word, that it's right to say we should love God's law. And we should, as the psalmist declared, love God's law. We should think about it and dwell on it day and night. We should walk in it because the law of God is good for us. It's the way we should be living. We should be obeying God. And there's just a massive problem that comes into play when we try to delight in God's law and think about God's law. And the one massive problem is this. Mankind is bad. Mankind is breaks God's good law. And this morning we're going to be a little bit repetitive and rep- repetition can be a very good thing. Rep- repetition helps in education and in life for us to remember and memorize and to think through and kind of to, to get it into our mind one of the ways that I remember names or at least try to remember names. After I meet you, you may see me walking away mumbling and it's because I'm repeating your name over and over and over again, trying to remember your name, so the next time I can walk up and shake your hand and say your name. Repetition is a good thing, and Paul was repetitive. You know, the book of Galatians, it just says the same thing over and over and over. You're now trying to be perfected by the law? After starting with the Spirit? Who has bewitched you with this false gospel, saying that you have to add works to the grace of God? He's repetitive, and he's repetitive in the book of Romans as well. And so we're going to be repetitive this morning because through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul was repetitive. And so we want to be as repetitive as he is and just say there's some good reason for us to think about similar things day in and day out. And so this morning, just like last week, we're going to have some repetition. Repetition is a good thing. And as Christians, we need to understand the law As it relates to the non-Christian and the law of God as it relates to the Christian. Because there's a fundamental difference in how we apply God's law to the Christian and the non-Christian. Let me say that again. There's a fundamental difference between how we apply God's law to the Christian and to the non-Christian. Because for the Christian, the law of God functions in a totally different way than the law of God functions for a non-Christian. And that's what we're diving into specifically this morning. We are considering... The law of God before a person becomes a Christian this morning, not after a person becomes a Christian. We still should delight in God's law as the people of God, but in a uniquely different way than the person who's a non-Christian. So this morning we are looking specifically at how the law relates to a non-Christian. And then I think as we consider that, there's going to be a lot of implications for Christians because all of us in this room who are Christians used to not be Christians. So, there's at some point in your life you weren't walking with God, you weren't born again. And so, this is applicable in that way to everyone. So, the question is Is the law sin? Verse 7. What shall we say then, in light of the law holding us captive? What shall we say then? Is that the law is sin? And the apostle's answer is By no means. By no means. Is the law sin? Is the law bad? If the law traps people, as the movie Pilgrim's Progress so depicts, and I stated last week, when when Christian walks up to legality, and legality is there, that mountain of the law. The law of Moses stands there, and it condemns Christian. And it sends him running. It traps him. If it traps people, and if it kills them, well then, why is it not bad? It would seem to be a bad thing. Its effect sends people, if they think about it rightly, into hysteria. It sends them into prison. It traps them, it kills them. So why is it not bad? And this is a natural question. I love when the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, just asks obvious questions. If that's what the law does, why isn't it bad? And I think we need to think about it even in a little bit deeper ways. Is it not cruel of God to tell us what to do even though we don't have the ability to carry it out? I want you to understand the weight of this question. Is it not cruel of God to tell us what to do even though we do not have the ability to carry it out? That's the root of this question. Straight to the problem. God's commandments, He commands us to do things that humans do not have the ability to do. And it's his prerogative to do so. He can command us to do something that we are morally unable to do. That's the rub with the law. The law of God comes to people who are fallen and in their sin, and people on their own strength and power cannot, cannot fulfill God's law. Doesn't that seem wrong? We are judged and held accountable for that which we cannot do. God gives us laws that we can't do, and then judges us for failing to do them. And that's absolutely true. That's what the law of God is. It comes to us, and we are expected to obey it as human beings, and we do not have the ability to do it. And then God judges us accordingly. Is that wrong? Is it sin? Is the law bad because it tells us to do things we can't do? Do you understand the dilemma? Every human being walking around out there, outside, has commandments given to them by God that they can't keep. But if they never come to Christ, they will be judged for not keeping those laws. And held accountable by God for breaking those laws. So is the law bad? It makes demands that mankind cannot fulfill. And it sounds bad, but the answer the Apostle Paul gives us is by no means. Well, why? Why is the law not bad? Why is the law not sin? By, by, by no means, Paul clearly says. And here he gives us an answer. Why? Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known what sin is. I would not have known sin. I wouldn't have known without the law. The reason the law is not sin is because the law helps mankind know what sin is. The reason the law is not sin is because it helps mankind to know what sin is. Knowledge of personal sin is a good thing. That's why the law is not sin. It is a good thing for people to know they are lawbreakers. That's good. And that's what the law, the purpose of the law, serves to produce in people, is this knowledge that I am breaking God's law. I am sinning. And the law is not sin because it helps people understand their sin. Well, Paul's going to explain it a little bit more. Let's think about coveting. Look at verse 7, part B. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. I would have not known what coveting is. So one person could desire what another person has, and that person could dwell on the belongings or the possessions or the happiness or the wealth or the family of this other person as if it was their own. And as they're thinking about dwelling on wanting what somebody else has, not just the wealth, but possessions or health, family, all of these things that somebody else has, as soon as that person says, I want that, I want what they have, and when the law comes and says, you shall not do that, well, then I know I am in sin for desiring what the other person has. And if the law didn't come and said, you shouldn't do that, I wouldn't have known that that was sin. I would have thought that was just a natural desire. But as soon as God's law comes and tells me, don't covet what somebody else has, I know I'm a lawbreaker. As soon as I hear it and know what it is, then I can look at my behavior and say, if kale has something that I want, and I say, I want what kale has. I want that. When I hear the law, I know I'm in sin. I am violating God's law. And Paul says... That's why the law is not sin. That's a good thing. It's a good thing when the law exposes a person's covetousness. And it's a good thing when the law exposes somebody's anger or lust or pride, whatever it may be. That is good. That's why the law is not sin, because it exposes sin within us. The law is doing its work when it comes to a person in sin. Now, verse 8, it goes deeper for us. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. Now, here's how this works. Here's how it works. We think when the law comes, we can just straighten ourselves out. And what we think is knowledge of the law is lacking, And here's what happens at a nationalistic level, and law does matter, and God uses His law, the second purpose of the law, is to restrain evil in the world. So God's law is good for non-believers in the sense that it restrains evil. Civil law is a good thing. But when God's law comes, what happens is not people start getting in line, but people start sinning all the more. Rebellion begins to happen to God's law. And here's what we we need to know even as a nation is that law doesn't change the hearts of people. And law can't change nations. But law is still a good thing. But we cannot put our hope in it. Because when law comes in the life of the believer, what ends up happening is law-breaking continues. And law-abiding is pushed to the side. So the law comes, covetousness comes and sin, the sin in me, begins to rise up. So where is sin located? Is sin located in God is it located in God's law or is it located in mankind? Well, sin is located, the locale of sin is in the hearts of mankind. That's what the text says. The commandment came, and sin seized that opportunity through that commandment to produce in me, All sorts of covetousness. So when the law comes, sin comes alive. And so the law is not sin. It makes sin come alive in a person. And apparently that is a good thing. And the result of that sin coming alive in a person is death. It produces death. Look at verse 9. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. I was alive. Things were okay. But when I was told not to covet, I realized I was a coveter, and sin rose up in me. It came alive, and I died, and I sinned against the commandment instead of fulfilling the commandment. And this is the story of humanity. It's the story of your life. It's the autobiography and it's the biography of every person who has ever lived. This is our approach to the law. We sin against it. We violate it, and sin rises up inside of us, and instead of longing to obey God's law, we sin against God's law. And then we start calling God's law bad to defend ourselves being good. And we see that everywhere. More on that here in a minute. We're told about the law that it comes with this promise. You've heard from the Garden Forward, the covenant of works that was on display in Genesis chapter 2, where God gave Adam and Eve... Only one restriction. It was a garden of yes with one no. You can, 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 to the billionth degree. And then one no. You can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you do the day of it, you, you eat, you shall surely die. This covenant of works. And what happens is Adam took the fruit. Eve took the fruit. Adam, who is right there with her, and they ate and they sinned against God. But the promise of God's law, even in the garden, is death will only come if you violate the law. We're told that the Lord God commanded the man saying, you, shay, you, sh- you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, it will surely die. And then in Leviticus 18.5, You shall keep all of my statutes and rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. And this text in Romans picks up on this. Look, look, at, verse, look at verse 10. The very commandment that promised life promised life proved to be death to me the promise that comes with the law is if you do this you'll live if you don't violate God's law you'll live and in the garden Adam had the ability to obey or disobey and if he obeyed life would have remained if he sinned death would come And then because of his sin and death coming upon all humanity and everybody, 100 of 100 people will die. 9 billion or 7.2 billion of 7.2 billion that are living on this earth right now will die because of sin. Moral inability came to humanity and mankind became unable to obey God. Born in sin and yet the law of God still comes to those who are morally unable to fulfill that law. And sinners are told, if you obey God's law, you will live. But there's this massive, massive problem that's in front of us. It's a commandment that promised life, but it proved to be death for me. And it wasn't just for Paul. The commandment, do this and live, kills everyone. Slays everybody. The commandment exposed Paul for who he was and what he was. And exposes everyone for who they are and what they are. It wasn't a problem with God's law. It was a problem with mankind. We're getting to the heart of the matter of the law. That's the point of the law. It exposes. But what was this deep and significant heart level problem? Again, look at verse 11. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. The sin in me, through it, killed me. The problem was sin in mankind. The problem was Paul. The problem was you. The problem is the world. Sin in the world. That's the problem. And the law comes, and the reason the law isn't sin is because it exposes sinners. And this is what our culture despises. This is what our world despises right now. To be fair, there isn't an era or generation that loved this. Every generation hates God's law apart from Christ. But our culture right now believes the lie that humans are generally good. The goodness of humanity is the air we breathe. That's the starting point when we look at our world. And it's not just the lost who believe that, it's many in the Christian faith, unfortunately, that propagate the same lie. The goodness of humanity is the air we breathe. You're great. You're awesome. You be you. Do your thing. If you could just see your potential, your life would be absolutely transformed. If you could just see how amazing you really are. And if you would gather people around you who would also fan into flame the awesomeness awesomeness within. The air we breathe is not to let anyone make me feel bad about anything, about myself in particular. Don't let anybody do that. And Christians, coming along and accommodating the culture, culture of air we're breathing, we begin to come up with a gospel that makes sense to that kind of worldview, the goodness of humanity. And so the gospel, the so-called gospel, and it's subtle, but the gospel we bring to a world that's obsessed with the self and obsessed with the goodness of humanity is a gospel Like this. God loves you. And you are amazing. And he desperately wants a relationship with you. He wants you to come to him. He's crazy about you. His heart is broken over you. Won't you just please come? You are amazing. And he loves you so much. And many people. Call that message that's so subtle. And has some true things in it. They call that evangelism. God loves you and has an amazing plan for your life. Come to him. That is not a gospel message. That is not evangelism. To go to somebody and say, God loves you, it just affirms what, uh, what they already love about themselves. Why wouldn't he? I love me. And everybody loves me. And the only people I around in my life are the non-toxic people who will come around and just love me and affirm me also. I've gotten rid of every toxic person on my list, no matter who it was. Of course, I love me and I want an awesome life for myself, so of course, that's a great, yeah. We live in an era where anything that violates the self or makes me feel bad is to be run away from, and it's looked at as if it is sin, if it is as if it is wrong. A gospel without law, however, is no gospel at all. A gospel without the law is no gospel at all. There is no good news without the bad news. It simply doesn't exist. If people think they are awesome, they need to hear God's law that tells them that they are sinners. And we cannot preach a gospel without the law. And friends, a group of people that love God's grace, we love God's grace because by the grace of God we've seen his law. And if we withhold personal pain from people, we withhold the very gospel from people. And we have to become, as the people of God, people who know God's law and know how to apply it to the non-believer. For them to see, yes, and we want them to feel bad about themselves. We want them to feel guilt We want them to feel pain and remorse from the life that they're living. We want that. And our world hates that. But we want people to walk with sorrow with their head down. And we want them to stare at legality, that mountain in front of them, God's law. We want them to look at it and say, that is impossible. I can't do that. I have sinned against every one of those. And I look at that and I say, Man, I'm condemned. We want people to feel condemned. Because apart from Christ, they are. And we cannot give them a message and call it evangelism to say, God loves you. It has an amazing plan for your life. Come and follow him. There's no good news in that. That's actually a damning message. Because there's no law in it. Why did you come to Christ? Well, because I wanted my life to be better. Really? Well, then you didn't come to Christ. If you didn't come to Christ to get your sins forgiven, and to repent of those sins, then most likely you you didn't come to Christ at all. We don't come to Christ for our life to get better. We come to Christ because the law has done its work and exposed us as sinners. I'm needy. I have violated God's law. Have you ever heard a testimony of somebody whose, whose testimony is actually that? The actual real gospel testimony? where you knew there it, it came to me and i heard god's law and i was so convicted by it because i knew that i was an enemy of god and testimonies like that are so amazing it's just amazing and friends that's what our people if we withhold that from them we withhold the good news from them thomas watson said this until sin be bitter christ will not be sweet until sin be bitter christ will not be sweet. And we need to get reacquainted with the goodness of the law to expose how good it is to humanity so we can expose how bad humanity is. Because the doctrine of the goodness of humanity is the number one doctrine in hell. Yes, people there are full of the mantra, we're good, God's bad. God's law is bad. I'm good, I'm good, I shouldn't be here. And we say, well, God's law will make people feel bad. Exactly. Exactly. We want people to feel bad. Why? Why? Because we want to say, now look at Jesus. Now look how kind Jesus is. For if sin seizes an opportunity through the commandment and deceived me and through it killed me. There comes a point with God's law as it does its work. As the Holy Spirit is opening our eyes to the law of God. As we see it and we say, now look to Jesus. As we stand and see that mountain before me and say, I can't, I can't, I can't. And we say, look to Christ. He did, he did, he did for you. And he obeyed that law. He kept the commandments. And by his life, we get to live. He did it, and he went to the cross for lawbreakers who looked at the law and knew, I I did it all. I I sinned against God. I violated God's law. And Jesus was counted as that lawbreaker on your behalf. And until sin be bitter, that message can't be sweet. It can't. If you don't know the weight of sin, the grace of God will never be that big of a deal to people. And why in this world the gospel message is not impactful at all is because people think they're good. Jesus should die for me. Jesus should die for me. I'm worth it. Jesus should die for me and have an amazing plan for my life. Because I sure as heck do. Surely God's better than me, don't you think his plans are better for me than mine? It's not amazing to people at all, shouldn't be to hear that God loves them. They already love themselves. What's amazing to people is when they hear that they deserve nothing from God and they have violated His law and sinned against Him and deserve nothing from Him, and then to hear, but He loves you. And He draws near to sinners. He came to seek and save that which is lost, not to those who beat their chest and say, I'm found, I'm good. This is why the law is not sin, because it drives people to Jesus. And for us to preach the whole gospel means to come with people with the law and say, now look to Christ. I want to plead with you to look to Christ. And in Christ, in Christ alone, can you have your sins forgiven. And in Christ, in Christ alone, can you be counted as a law keeper. And Christ, in Christ alone, is your only, only hope. That is why the law is good. Look at verse 12. So, in light of that, the law doing its work, so the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Why is the commandment holy, righteous, and good, because it exposes us as not being. It exposes us and drives us to Christ. It exposes... Guys, there is great freedom in being able to say for a non-believer, agreeing with God to be able to say, I am a sinner. And I need grace. I don't have to be a poser anymore. I don't have to act like I'm better than I am. I don't have to clean myself up. I can claim what the Bible says about me. I am in the gutter and deserve nothing from God. I don't have to be a poser anymore. And in that moment, Jesus, he comes. Isn't it amazing that Jesus is attracted to those in the gutter? That he comes to those who are at their worst? brother. Sister, welcome home. And friends, maybe we never thought about that. Maybe we came to Christ because, well, God will make, he he loves me and, and has an amazing plan for my life. And maybe he saved you through that message, miraculously. And maybe this morning, for the first time, you're considering again the goodness of the law of God that came to you and slayed you and killed you, and through Christ, you've been brought to life. And you just stand in awe, God, thank you. Maybe that's you. If you're a non-Christian in in, in this room, I, I want you to feel condemnation. And I want you to feel the weight of being outside of Christ. And if you're judged by God right now, He's angry with you. And He's angry at your sin. But here's what's amazing about God. He's not only angry with you. He loves you. And He has you here this morning to hear of His tender love towards you and His strong love towards you. And the very words that are coming out of my mouth is, don't stay condemned. Repent of your sins. Agree with God that you have broke His law. Let the law slay you. Don't be a poser anymore. Don't be a faker anymore. Don't be just like everybody else running around in this world. You know, the most punk rock radical thing you can do anymore, as I heard somebody on the internet say, is actually believe the Bible and obey God. It's like the most rebellious thing you can do in our society. It's actually like have kids, raise a family, and be a decent, godly man and woman and love your neighbor and work hard. Like the worst rebel you can find in our country these days. So don't be cool. Or run with the cool. Actually, that is cool. Be cool and trust in Jesus. My goodness. You're hearing me say this. Don't stay condemned. Look to Christ. Let the law do its work in you and trust God, I have sinned against you. I believe in you. I want to to be saved. Forgive my sins. And He will. He will. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. It's good for sinners to be exposed that they may be saved. And of course, there's always going to be people who come along and say, when you share this message with them, No, I'm good. God's restrictions are bad. God doesn't know about the evolving sexual ethic. God's law is bad. And there will be people who say that. It's all over the place. But we don't accommodate and say, Well, yeah, you're right. If that offends you, I don't want you to feel bad. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, come to Him. We have to agree with God's law and say, sin is sin, whatever that sin is. So there's always going to be people who say, I'm good, the law's bad, and hell again is full of such people. But this morning, if you're not a believer, I want you to come to Christ. I want you to trust in Him. And if you are a believer, I want you to just thank the Lord that He saved you from your sins. He saved you from your sins. And there was a time in your life that you stood against God's law, and you couldn't do it, and He saved you. And we get to sing about it this morning.